6. Walker, after minutely describing this celebrated statue, says, all these admirable characteristics of the female form, the mere existence of which in woman must, one is tempted to imagine, be even to herself, a source of ineffable pleasure, these constitute a being worthy, as the personification of beauty, of occupying the temples of Greece, present an object finer, alas, than nature even seems capable of producing, and offer to all nations and ages a theme of admiration and delight, while might Thompson say, so stands the statue that enchants the world, so, bending, tries to veil the matchless most the mingled beauties of exulting Greece, we beg our readers to observe the form of the waist evidently innocent of corsets and tight dresses of this model woman, and also that of the Greek slave in the accompanying outlines, these forms are such as unperverted nature and the highest art alike require, to compress the waist, and thereby change its form, pushing the ribs inward, displacing the vital organs, and preventing the due expansion of the lungs, is as destructive to beauty as it is to health. The history, mystery, benefits and injuries of the corset. 1. The origin of the corset is lost in remote antiquity. The figures of the early Egyptian women show clearly an artificial shape of the waist produced by some style of corset. A similar style of dress must also have prevailed among the ancient Jewish maidens, for Isaiah, in calling upon the women to put away their personal adornments, says, instead of a girdle there shall be a rent, and instead of a stomach or corset a girdle of sackcloth. 2. Homer also tells us of the cestus or girdle of Venus, which was borrowed by the haughty Juno with a view to increasing her personal attractions, that Jupiter might be a more tractable and orderly husband. 3. Coming down to the later times, we find the corset was used in France and England as early as the 12th century. 4. The most extensive and extreme use of the corset occurred in the 16th century, during the reign of Catherine de' Medici of France and Queen Elizabeth of England. With Catherine de' Medici a 14-inch waist measurement was considered the standard of fashion, while a thick waist was an abomination. No lady could consider her figure of proper shape unless she could span her waist with her two hands. To produce this result a strong rigid corset was worn night and day until the waist was laced down to the required size. Then over this corset was placed the steel apparatus shown in the illustration on next page. This corset cover reached from the hip to the throat, and produced a rigid figure over which the dress would fit with perfect smoothness. 5. During the 18th century corsets were largely made from a species of leather known as bent, which was knotted like that used for shoe soles, and measured nearly a quarter of an inch in thickness. One of the most popular corsets of the time was the corset and stomacher shown in the accompanying illustration. 6. About the time of the French Revolution a reaction set in against tight lacing, and for a time there was a return to the early classical Greek costume. This style of dress prevailed, with various modifications, until about 1810 when corsets and tight lacing again returned with threefold fury. Buchan, a prominent writer of this period, says that it was by no means uncommon to see a mother lay her daughter down upon the carpet, and, placing her foot upon her back, break half a dozen laces in tightening her stays. 7. It is reserved to our own time to demonstrate that corsets and tight lacing do not necessarily go hand in hand. Distortion and feebleness are not beauty. A proper proportion should exist between the size of the waist and the breadth of the shoulders and hips, and if the waist is diminished below this proportion, it suggests disproportion and invalidism rather than grace and beauty. 8. 
the perfect corset is one which possesses just that degree of rigidity which will prevent it from wrinkling, but will at the same time allow freedom in the bending and twisting of the body. Corsets bone with whalebone, horn or steel are necessarily stiff, rigid and uncomfortable. After a few days where the bones or steels become bent and set in position, or, as more frequently happens, they break and cause injury or discomfort to the wearer. 9. About seven years ago an article was discovered for the stiffening of corsets, which has revolutionized the corset industry of the world. This article is manufactured from the natural fibers of the Mexican Isley plant, and is known as Coraline. It consists of straight, stiff fibers like bristles bound together into a cord by being wound with two strands of thread passing in opposite directions. This produces an elastic fiber intermediate in stiffness between twine and whalebone. It cannot break, but it possesses all the stiffness and flexibility necessary to hold the corset in shape and prevent its wrinkling. We congratulate the ladies of today upon the advantages they enjoy over their sisters of two centuries ago. In the forms and the graceful and easy curves of the corsets now made as compared with those of former times. Tight lacing. It destroys natural beauty and creates an unpleasant and irritable temper. A tight laced chest and a good disposition cannot go together. The human form has been molded by nature. The best shape is undoubtedly that which she has given it. To endeavor to render it more elegant by artificial means is to change it. To make it much smaller below and much larger above is to destroy its beauty. To keep it cased up in a kind of domestic cuirass is not only to deform it, but to expose the internal parts to serious injury. Under such compression as is commonly practiced by ladies, the development of the bones, which are still tender, does not take place conformably to the intention of nature, because nutrition is necessarily stopped, and they consequently become twisted and deformed. Those who wear these appliances of tight lacing often complain that they cannot sit upright without them are sometimes, indeed, compelled to wear them during all the 24 hours a fact which proves to what extent such articles weaken the muscles of the trunk. The injury does not fall merely on the internal structure of the body, but also on its beauty, and on the temper and feelings with which that beauty is associated. Beauty is in reality but another name for expression of countenance, which is the index of sound health, intelligence, good feelings and peace of mind. All are aware that uneasy feelings, existing habitually in the breast, speedily exhibit their signature on the countenance, and that bitter thoughts or a bad temper spoil the human expression of its comeliness and grace. The care of the hair. 1. The color of the hair. The color of the hair corresponds with that of the skin being dark or black, with a dark complexion, and red or yellow with a fair skin. When a white skin is seen in conjunction with black hair, as among the women of Syria and Barbary, the apparent exception arises from protection from the sun's rays and opposite colors are often found among people of one prevailing feature. Thus red-haired Jews are not uncommon, though the nation in general have dark complexion and hair. 2. The imperishable nature of hair. The imperishable nature of hair arises from the combination of salt and metals in its composition. In old tombs and on mummies it has been found in a perfect state. After a lapse of over 2,000 years, there are many curious accounts proving the indestructibility of the human hair. 3. Tubular. In the human family the hairs are tubular, the tubes being intersected by partitions, resembling in some degree the cellular tissue of plants. Their hollowness prevents encumbrance from weight, while their power of resistance is increased by having their traverse sections rounded in form. 4. Cautions. It is ascertained that a full head of hair, beard and whiskers, 
are a prevention against colds and consumptions. Occasionally, however, it is found necessary to remove the hair from the head, in cases of fever or disease, to stay the inflammatory symptoms, and to relieve the brain. The head should invariably be kept cool. Closed night caps are unhealthy, and smoking caps and coverings for the head within doors are alike detrimental to the free growth of the hair, weakening it, and causing it to fall out. How to beautify and preserve the hair. 1. To beautify the hair. Keep the head clean, the pores of the skin open, and the whole circulatory system in a healthy condition, and you will have no need of bear's grease alias hog's lard. Where there is a tendency in the hair to fall off on account of the weakness or sluggishness of the circulation, or an unhealthy state of the skin, cold water and friction with a tolerably stiff brush are probably the best remedial agents. 2. Barber's shampoos are very beneficial if properly prepared. They should not be made too strong. Avoid strong shampoos of any kind. Great caution should be exercised in this matter. 3. Care of the hair. To keep the hair healthy. Keep the head clean. Brush the scalp well with a stiff brush. While dry. Then wash with castile soap. And rub into the roots bay rum. Brandy or camphor water. This done twice a month will prove beneficial. Brush the scalp thoroughly twice a week. Dampen the hair with soft water at the toilet. And do not use oil. 4. Hair wash. Take 1 ounce of borax. Half an ounce of camphor powder. These ingredients fine and dissolve them in 1 quart of boiling water. When cool. The solution will be ready for use. Dampen the hair frequently. This wash is said not only to cleanse and beautify, but to strengthen the hair, preserve the color and prevent baldness. Another excellent wash. The best wash we know for cleansing and softening the hair is an egg beaten up and rubbed well into the hair, and afterwards washed out with several washes of warm water. 5. The only sensible and safe hair oil. The following is considered a most valuable preparation. Take of extract of yellow Peruvian bark, 15 grains, extract of ratani root, 8 grains, extract of bird oak root and oil of nutmegs fixed, of each 2 drams, camphor dissolved with spirits of wine, 15 grains, beef marrow, 2 ounces, best olive oil, 1 ounce, citron juice, half a dram, aromatic essential oil, as much as sufficient to render it fragrant, mix and make into an ointment, 2 drams of bergamot, and a few drops of ether of roses would suffice. 6. Hair wash. A good hair wash is soap and water, and the oftener it is applied the freer the surface of the head will be from scurf. The hair brush should also be kept in requisition morning and evening. 7. To remove superfluous hair. With those who dislike the use of arsenic, the following is used for removing superfluous hair from the skin. Lime. 1 ounce, carbonate of potash. 2 ounces, charcoal powder. 1 dram, for use, make it into a paste with a little warm water, and apply it to the part, previously shaved close, as soon as it has become thoroughly dry, it may be washed off with a little warm water, 8, coloring for eyelashes and eyebrows, in eyelashes the chief element of beauty consists in their being long and glossy, the eyebrows should be finely arched and clearly divided from each other, the most innocent darkener of the brow is the express juice of the elderberry, or a burnered clove. 9. Crimping hair. To make the hair stay in crimps, take 5 cents worth of gum arabic and add to it just enough boiling water to dissolve it. When dissolved, add enough alcohol to make it rather thin. Let this stand all night and then bottle it to prevent the alcohol from evaporating. This put on the hair at night. After it is done up in papers or pins, 
will make it stay in crimp the hottest day, and is perfectly harmless. 10. To curl the hair. There is no preparation that will make naturally straight hair assume a permanent curl. The following will keep the hair in curl for a short time. Take borax. 2 ounces, damarabic. 1 dram, and hot water. Not boiling. 1 quart, stirrer. And, as soon as the ingredients are dissolved, add 3 tablespoonfuls of strong spirits of camphor. On retiring to rest, wet the hair with the above liquid, and roll in twists of paper as usual. Do not disturb the hair until morning, when it twist and form into ringlets. 11. For falling or loosening of the hair, take, alcohol, a half pint, salt, as much as will dissolve, glycerin, a tablespoonful, flour of sulfur, teaspoonful, mix, rub on the scalp every morning. 12. To darken the hair without bad effects, take, bloom vitriol powdered, 1 dram, alcohol, 1 ounce, essence of roses, 10 drops, rain water, a half pint, shake together until they are thoroughly dissolved, 13, gray hair, there are no known means by which the hair can be prevented from turning gray, and none which can restore it to its original hue, except through the process of dyeing, the numerous hair color restorers which are advertised are chemical preparations which act in the manner of a dye or as a paint, and are nearly always dependent for their power on the presence of lead, this mineral, applied to the skin, for a long time, will lead to the most disastrous maladies lead palsy, lead colic, and other symptoms of poisoning, it should, therefore, never be used for this purpose, how to cure pimples or other facial eruptions, 1, it requires self-denial to get rid of pimples, for persons troubled with them will persist in eating fat meats and other articles of food calculated to produce them, avoid the use of rich gravies, or pastry, or anything of the kind in excess. Take all the outdoor exercise you can and never indulge in a late supper. Retire at a reasonable hour, and rise early in the morning. Sulfur to purify the blood may be taken three times a week a thimbleful in a glass of milk before breakfast. It takes some time for the sulfur to do its work. Therefore persevere in its use till the humors, or pimples, or blotches, disappear. Avoid getting wet while taking the sulfur. 2. Try this recipe. Wash the face twice a day in warm water, and rub dry with a coarse towel. Then with a soft towel rub in a lotion made of 2 ounces of white brandy, 1 ounce of cologne, and 1 half ounce of liquor potass. Persons subject to skin eruptions should avoid very salty or fat food. A dose of Epsom salts occasionally might prove beneficial. 3. Wash the face in a dilution of carbolic acid, allowing 1 teaspoonful to a pint of water. This is an excellent and purifying lotion and may be used on the most delicate skins. Be careful about letting this wash get into the eyes. 4. Oil of sweet almonds. 1 ounce, fluid potash. 1 dram, shake well together, and then add rose water. 1 ounce, pure water. 6 ounces, mix. Rub the pimples or blotches for some minutes with a rough towel, and then dab them with the lotion. 5. Dissolve 1 ounce of borax, and sponge the face with it every night. When there are insects, Rub on flour of sulfur. Dry after washing. Rub well and wipe dry. Use plenty of castile soap. 6. Dilute corrosive sublimate with oil of almonds. A few days application will remove them. Blackheads and flesh worms. This is a minute little creature. Scientifically called Daemodex folliculum. Hardly visible to the naked eye. With comparatively large forebody. A more slender hind body and eight little stumpy processes that do duty as legs. 
no specialized head is visible, although of course there is a mouth orifice. These creatures live on the sweat glands or pores of the human face, and owing to the appearance that they give to the infested pores, they are usually known as black heads. It is not at all uncommon to see an otherwise pretty face disfigured by these ugly creatures, although the insects themselves are nearly transparent white. The black appearance is really due the accumulation of dirt which gets under the edges of the skin of the enlarged sweat glands and cannot be removed in the ordinary way by washing, because the abnormal, hardened secretion of the gland itself becomes stained. These insects are so lowly organized that it is almost impossible to satisfactory deal with them and they sometimes cause the continual festering of the skin which they inhabit. Remedy. Press them out with a hollow key or with the thumb and fingers and apply a mixture of sulfur and cream every evening. Wash every morning with the best toilet soap, or wash the face with hot water with a soft flannel at bedtime. Love, but there's nothing half so sweet in life as love's young dream. More, all love is sweet, given or returned. Common as light is love, and its familiar voice wearies not ever. Shelley, doubt thou the stars are fire, doubt that the sun doth move, doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. Shakespeare. Let those love now who never loved before. Let those that always love now love the more. 1. Love blends young hearts. Love blends young hearts in blissful unity. And, for the time, so ignores past ties and affections, as to make willing separation of the son from his father's house, and the daughter from all the sweet endearments of her childhood's home, to go out together and rear for themselves an altar, around which shall cluster all the cares and delights the anxieties and sympathies, of the family relationship, this love, if pure, and selfish, and discreet, constitutes the chief usefulness and happiness of human life, too, without love, without love there would be no organized households, and, consequently, none of that earnest endeavor for competence and respectability, which is the mainspring to human effort, none of those sweet, softening, restraining and elevating influences of domestic life which can alone fill the earth with the glory of the Lord and make glad the city of Zion. This love is indeed heaven upon earth, but above would not be heaven without it, where there is not love, there is fear, but, love cast out fear, and yet we naturally do offend what we most love. 3. Love is the sun of life, most beautiful in morning and evening, but warmest and steadiest at noon. It is the sun of the soul. Life without love is worse than death, a world without a sun. The love which does not lead to labor will soon die out, and the thankfulness which does not embody itself in sacrifices is already changing to gratitude. Love is not ripened in one day, nor in many, nor even in a human lifetime. It is the oneness of soul with soul in appreciation and perfect trust. To be blessed it must rest in that faith in the divine which underlies every other emotion. To be true, it must be eternal as God himself. For, love is dependent. Remember that love is dependent upon forms, courtesy of etiquette guards and protects courtesy of heart. How many hearts have been lost irrevocably, and how many averted eyes and cold looks have been gained from what seemed, perhaps, but a trifling negligence of forms. 5. Radical Differences Men and women should not be judged by the same rules. There are many radical differences in their affectional natures. Man is the creature of interest and ambition. His nature leads him forth into the struggle and bustle of the world. Love is but the embellishment of his early life, or a song piped in the intervals of the acts. He seeks for fame, for fortune, for space in the world's thoughts, and dominion over his fellow men. 
but a woman's whole life is a history of the affections. The heart is her world, it is there her ambition strives for empire, it is there her ambition seeks for hidden treasures. She sends forth her sympathies on adventure, she embarks her whole soul in the traffic of affection, and if shipwrecked her case is hopeless, for it is bankruptcy of the heart. 6. Woman's love. Woman's love is stronger than death, it rises superior to adversity, and towers in sublime beauty above the niggardly selfishness of the world. Misfortune cannot suppress it, enmity cannot alienate it, temptation cannot enslave it. It is the guardian angel of the nursery and the sick bed, it gives an affectionate concord to the partnership of life and interest. Circumstances cannot modify it, it ever remains the same to sweeten existence, to purify the cup of life, on the rugged pathway to the grave, and melt to moral pliability the brittle nature of man. It is the ministering spirit of home, hovering in soothing caresses over the cradle, and the deathbed of the household, and filling up the urn of all its sacred memories. 7. A lady's complexion. He who loves a lady's complexion, form and features, loves not her true self, but her soul's old clothes. The love that has nothing but beauty to sustain it, soon withers and dies. The love that is fed with presents always requires feeding. Love, and love only, is the loan for love. Love is of the nature of a burning glass, which, kept still in one place, fireth, changed often, it doth nothing. The purest joy we can experience in one we love, is to see that person a source of happiness to others. When you are with the person loved, you have no sense of being bored. This humble and trivial circumstance is the great test the only sure and abiding test of love. 8. Two souls come together. When two souls come together, each seeking to magnify the other, each in subordinate sense worshipping the other, each help the other, the two flying together so that each wing beat of the one helps each wing beat of the other when two souls come together thus. They are lovers, they who unitedly move themselves away from grossness and from earth, toward the throne of crystalline and the pavement golden, are, indeed, true lovers, the power and peculiarities of love, love is a tonic and a remedy for disease, makes people look younger, creates industry, etc., all thoughts, all passions, all desires, whatever stirs this mortal frame, are ministers of love, and feed this sacred flame, one. It is a physiological fact long demonstrated that persons possessing a loving disposition borrow less of the cares of life, and also live much longer than persons with a strong, narrow and selfish nature. Persons who love scenery, love domestic animals, show great attachment for all friends, love their home dearly and find interest and enchantment in almost everything have qualities of mind and heart which indicate good health and a happy disposition. 2. Persons who love music and are constantly humming or whistling a tune, are persons that need not be feared. They are kind-hearted and with few exceptions possess a loving disposition. Very few good musicians become criminals. 3. Parents that cultivate a love among their children will find that the same feeling will soon be manifested in their children's disposition. Sunshine in the hearts of the parents will blossom in the lives of the children. The parent who continually cherishes a feeling of dislike and rebellion in his soul cultivating moral hatred against his fellow man, will soon find the same things manifested by his son. As the son resembles his father in looks so he will to a certain extent resemble him in character. Love in the heart of the parent will beget kindness and affection in the heart of a child. Continuous scolding and fretting in the home will soon make love a stranger. For, if you desire to cultivate love, create harmony in all your feelings and faculties. 
Remember that all that is pure, holy and virtuous in love flows from the deepest fountain of the human soul. Poison the fountain and you change virtue to vice, and happiness to misery. 5. Love strengthens health, and disappointment cultivates disease. A person in love will invariably enjoy the best of health. 99% of our strong constitution men, now in physical ruin, have wrecked themselves on the breakers of an unnatural love. Nothing but right love and a right marriage will restore them to health. 6. All men feel much better for going according, providing they court purely. Nothing tears the life out of man more than lust, vulgar thoughts and immoral conduct. The liberty nor harlot has changed love, God's purest gift to man, into a lust. They cannot acquire love in its purity again. The sacred flame has vanished forever. Love is pure, and cannot be found in the heart of a seducer. 7. A woman is never so bright and full of health as when deeply in love. Many sickly and frail women are snatched from the clutches of some deadly disease and restored to health by falling in love. 8. It is a long-established fact that married persons are healthier than unmarried persons, thus it proves that health and happiness belong to the home. Health depends upon mind. Love places the mind into a delightful state and quickens every human function. Makes the blood circulate and weaves threads of joy into cables of domestic love. 9. An old but true proverb, a true man loving one woman will speak well of all women. A true woman loving one man will speak well of all men. A good wife praises all men, but praises her husband most. A good man praises all women, but praises his wife most. 10. Persons deeply in love become peculiarly pleasant, winning and tender. It is said that a musician can never excel or an artist do his best until he has been deeply in love. A good orator. A great statesman or great men in general or greater and better for having once been thoroughly in love. A man who truly loves his wife and home is always a safe man to trust. 11. Love makes people look younger in years. People in unhappy homes look older and more worn and fatigued. A woman at 30, well courted and well married, looks 5 or 10 years younger than a woman of the same age and happily married. Old maids and bachelors always look older than they are. A flirting widow always looks younger than an old maid of like age. 12. Love renders women industrious and frugal, and a loving husband spends lavishly on a loved wife and children, though miserly towards others. 13. Love cultivates self-respect and produces beauty. Beauty in walk and beauty in looks, a girl in love is at her best, it brings out the finest traits of her character. She walks more erect and is more generous and forgiving. Her voice is sweeter and she makes happy all about her. She works better, sings better and is better. 14. Now in conclusion, a love marriage is the best life insurance policy, it pays dividends every day, while every other insurance policy merely promises to pay after death. Remember that statistics demonstrate that married people outlive old maids and old bachelors by a goodly number of years and enjoy healthier and happier lives. Amativeness or can you be a love? 1. Multiplying the race. Some means for multiplying our race is necessary to prevent its extinction by death. Propagation and death appertain to man's earthly existence. If the deity had seen fit to bring every member of the human family into being by a direct act of creative power, without the agency of parents, the present wise and benevolent arrangements of husbands and wives, parents and children, friends and neighbors, would have been superseded and all opportunities for exercising parental and connubial love, in which so much enjoyment is taken, cut off. But the domestic feelings and relations, as now arranged, 
must strike every philosophical observer as inimitably beautiful and perfect as the offspring of infinite wisdom and goodness combined. 2. Amativeness and its combinations constitute their origin, counterpart, and main medium of manifestation. Its primary function is connubial love. From it, mainly, spring those feelings which exist between the sexes as such and result in marriage and offspring, combined with the higher sentiments. It gives rise to all those reciprocal kind feelings and nameless courtesies which each sex manifests towards the other, refining and elevating both, promoting gentility and politeness, and greatly increasing social and general happiness. 3. Renders men more polite to women. So far from being in the least gross or indelicate, its proper exercise is pure, chaste, virtuous, and even an ingredient in good manners. It is this which renders men always more polite towards women than to one another, and more refined in their society, and which makes women more kind, grateful, genteel and tender towards men than women. It makes mothers love their sons more than their daughters, and fathers more attached to their daughters. Man's endearing recollections of his mother or wife form his most powerful incentives to virtue, study, and good deeds, as well as restraints upon his vicious inclinations, and, In proportion as a young man is dutiful and affectionate to his mother, will he be fond of his wife, for, this faculty is the parent of both, for, all should cultivate the faculty of amativeness or connubial love, study the personal charms and mental accomplishments of the other sex by ardent admirers of beautiful forms, and study graceful movements and elegant manners, and remember, much depends upon the tones and accents of the voice, never be gruff if you desire to be winning. Seek and enjoy and reciprocate fond looks and feelings. Before you can create favorable impressions you must first be honest and sincere and natural. And your conquest will be sure and certain. Love and common sense. 1. Do not love her because she goes to the altar with her head full of book learning. Her hands of no earthly use. Save for the piano and brush. Because she has no conception of the duties and responsibilities of the wife. Because she hates housework. Hates its everlasting routine and ever-recurring duties, because she hates children and will adopt every means to evade motherhood, because she loves her ease, loves to have her will supreme, loves, oh how well, to be free to go and come, to let the day slip idly by, to be absolved from all responsibility, to live without labor, without care, will you love her selfish, shirking, calculating nature after twenty years of close companionship, too. Do you love him because he is a man, and therefore, no matter how weak mentally, morally or physically he may be, he has vested in him the power to save you from the ignominy of an old maid's existence, because you would rather be Mrs. Nobody, than make the effort to be Miss Somebody, because you have a great empty place in your head and heart that nothing but a man can fill, because you feel you cannot live without him, God grant the time may never come when you cannot live with him. 3. Do you love her because ass? Yes. 